Hello, this is pop anthropologist Vivian Asimos coming in at the top of this episode in order to warn you that this episode was recorded a little while ago. And for those of you who follow Taylor Swift news, you'll find that there's some stuff that has happened since this recording that we have not discussed, like Matt Healy and the recent revival of the Kim Kanye discussion, which we do bring up, but the first time, not the second time it happened. So with that being said, let's get to your normal disclaimers. This is I'm a Fan of That, hosted by pop anthropologist Vivian Asimos and pop culture writer Holly Swinyard. We use strong language, have strong themes, and have a strong sense of nerdiness. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to I'm a Fan of That, where we talk about the wonderfully complicated worlds of fandom through the objects we love. And today, I have brought... Are you going to tell them your name? Oh, great! Sorry, <laughs> I'm a person. Um... <laughs> Vivian's been generated by AI today. I'm okay. Vivian Asimos, and I'm with my friend... Holly Swinyard! <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm very excited about this episode um, because I get the excuse to talk about stuff that I, I well, that I love. <laughs> I, I'm really, I'm coming into this episode like completely blind and it's really funny. So like, I feel like it's it's entertaining that when we kind of do one each and sometimes we'll be like, I have no idea. I have I absolutely <laughs> no idea. So I feel like I'm learning along with the listener today. It's going to be great. Uh, I always feel bad that I bring like the kind of fandoms that aren't as... I mean, they're nerdy, but they're just nerdy yeah. in their own way. <laughs> I mean, that's a good thing, because otherwise it would get real, real boring real quick. <laughs> that's fair. Um, but today I'm bringing with me um, an album that came out last year. And uh, now the thing is, so you know how Spotify Rewind is a thing? Yeah. Um, it used, Before this album came out, Orville Peck, which we, who we've already talked about extensively, mm-hmm. uh, was... And who is now in my Spotify playlist. Yes. <laughs> very good. Very happy. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was top tier, no touching him. Uh, and then this album came out. And surprisingly, and this came out like a month before the Rewind came out. And the fact that Taylor Swift was able to beat out not entirely Orville Peck, but enough of Orville Peck to make me go, oh, I have a problem. Uh, so it's Taylor Swift. <laughs> it's doing... Taylor Swift. Wow. It's Taylor Swift's album Midnight's, uh, which is still one that I listen to a lot when I'm doing writing. Um, I, I also listen to it sometimes when I'm out of podcasts and I just need to do a nice little walk. It's a cool vibe. It's a nice, it's a nice chill time, but also very stressful time. But we'll talk about that. Yeah. You can listen to music with words while you're writing, and that's that's astounding to me. My brain's like, no, you must have lo-fi and nothing else. Only we talked lo-fi. about it. You might like this album because it's kind of like lo-fi adjacent. Oh, I do like I do like lo-fi it's adjacent. It's got like chill lo-fi vibes. <laughs> okay, I mean this is better than me. Like, uh, not last year, year before maybe 2020 i can't remember it must have been 2020 it was during lockdown uh my entire spotify rewind was just bo burnham that was it it was just that and i was like no wonder i was really depressed shit well uh, it was like... gonna be only orville peck like across the board orville peck for everything everywhere but uh no no taylor swift came out came out and... swinging um so what is <laughs> what is your experience of of taylor swift more generally uh, and I'm assuming um, you have not heard this album. I haven't heard this album. I have uh, a very good friend of mine from university who loves Taylor Swift. So whenever we were at uni uh, and then sort of living near each other after university uh, and we'd go driving, Taylor Swift was the car music of choice because cool. very good. Uh, very driver, good choice. driver picks the music, passenger shuts the mouth is the rule, uh, <laughs> which is me very badly paraphrasing Supernatural. So let's not mention that. Uh, so that would have been Shake It Off, that era, that album. Mm. And obviously, like, I am a millennial and therefore Taylor Swift's first album is, like, ingrained into my my psyche <laughs> uh, as a thing uh, because it was just everywhere all the time. It was on every... And also because I'm a millennial nerd and it was on, like, every AMV, like, 
music video that nerds were making about like their ship and all this sort of stuff was love story <laughs> um so like is that what's called yeah love story the yeah 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 um so yeah no that's kind of my knowledge of taylor swift and like bad blood that that mm, we it's a great album it's genuinely great album. that whole album is good um it's not called that but that the one with that track on it i absolutely love uh there's a lot of taylor swift i like uh but i'm not i'm not a big fan like i haven't listened to albums all the way through i probably know most of the singles yeah um and like some of the album tracks that have become popular but like that's kind of it i would guess i think it would um, be hard to not know like any of the singles or anything yeah she's Swift. everywhere right she is the, she the pop with... icon i think yeah she did something of Ed Sheeran, and it's like, oh, look, the two pop icons. Yeah. Like, they have come together <laughs> to create what is possibly the sappiest and most, like, mawkish love song I've ever heard. I remember, like, my sister playing it to me, uh, The Joker and the Queen, I think it's called. Mm. Um, and being like, what is this? And her being like, oh, I can't decide if it's really nice or really sweet. And I'm just sat there listening to it. And I would like to point out, I ha- was listening to this after having just watched... Uh, the episode of Our Flag Means Death where Steed and Ed finally, like, kiss and, like, all this sort of stuff. So I'm there like, oh, the best queer love story of all time is happening. <laughs> and then just being like, this is very, this is very traditional love. Like, it was like, I suddenly was like, oh, oh, straight people exist. Oh, yeah. Forgot about them. <laughs> Shit. Uh, and it just, I was just like, it's boring. <laughs> which is such a, which is such a me thing to do to be like, oh, this doesn't count. <laughs> I was like, that's stupid. Um, but it was kind of funny because I think I was just riding this high of like gay people being allowed to have a cool pirate romance. <laughs> and then my sister being like, oh, but like this beautiful love song. And me being like, but heteronormativity. Yeah. But heteronormativity is so boring. <laughs> she hates it when I do that. She absolutely hates it. <laughs> uh, but it, it is very funny. So there, there was. Now I'm thinking it might have been my mum who showed it to me. I genuinely can't remember. Like that's awful of me, isn't it? I don't know. I was I was thinking about pirates. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's that's my main knowledge of Taylor Swift is like country singer from when I was about 17, 16, 15, 16, 17. I don't know that sort of age. Uh, and then shake it off, and then like the bad blood era thing, and then uh, mawkish love song with Ed Sheeran. That's it. So yeah. I'm doing good. <laughs> I oh and dating Tom Hiddleston, yeah yeah okay. he was yeah, on the yeah, list but... wasn't he? We'll yeah. talk we'll talk about the list. <laughs> okay, so yeah clearly I know bugger all essentially is the yeah. <laughs> well so I um I mean I'm a big fan of pop music more generally I've uh, used to be ashamed of it but I don't think it's something to be ashamed of they're wonderful oh, no. music. Um, and, uh, so I used to listen to a lot of just the, like you, it's like, obviously I'd heard a lot of the, the big singles and stuff like that. And I didn't hate them. You know, I enjoyed them. Uh, I still think Blank Space is one of the best pop songs to have ever been written. I will, I will fight that argument to the death for anyone who wants to come at me, bro. Uh, but I never really listened to like a full album until her album Folklore dropped. And it, which was in 2020, uh, and uh, folklore was amazing, <laughs> and so I I got kind of keyed into it, and so then when Midnight's dropped, I was like, well, I'll give it a try, uh, and it was also amazing, and so and I think there's a lot that's going on in kind of the post, uh, and we'll talk about this the the Taylor Swift who thinks that her world crumbled, which. Um, to see somebody who is one of the most successful women, probably of all time, <laughs> to be thinking that, like, her world is done is... I mean, I I get that anxiety. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot that can be said to it. But she's, like, up there with, like, Beyonce and people. Oh, like, yeah. You know, like, I'm like, what? <laughs> there is no touching her. But yet the Midnight's is all about, like, having anxiety and depression. And it's like, I, I mean, I get it. But, like, yeah. girl. Still valid. Still valid, you know. <laughs> so, but we'll talk about this because I, I think um, this is... It's to understand why Taylor Swift thinks this way. And it is really impacted her storytelling, which has then also impacted the way that the Swifties or the big fan base of Taylor Swift's 
has also then consumed the songs and understood them and related to them. It's all kind of tied together with Taylor Swift's personal history. You know um, it's a fandom when they've got a name. Yes. <laughs> like they've got a they've got a name, guys. Like I, it's not just these aren't just normal fans. They have, you know, they're collective at this point. They have I a collective think I name. only know two pop people's like fandom names. No, no, well, you've got, three, if I include, like, some K-pop people. But yeah, you've got, like, it. ARMY, right? So that's BTS. Yeah. And then... Blackpink Belie- is the Blinkers. Yeah, and Beliebers. For, oh, yeah, I the forgot Justin about one. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Barbs, I don't. which are fans oh. of Nicki Minaj. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, Little Monsters, of course, which well, is yes. uh, Lady Gaga. So, you know, there so are there's, there. there's, there's quite a few. There's quite a few. That, never yeah. mind. I got a bigger list than I thought. Um, but yeah, yeah, Swifties are, are, are huge, um, and massive, and, uh, is the reason why we will only talk good things about Taylor Swift today. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. I do, I do really, I mean, as I said, um, I really like her, but I think that when you delve into, like, her history, it's, it reveals a lot of really interesting facets of an mm-hmm. individual, as well as how that then feeds into how she crafts a story and then how people relate to it but anyway so i'm gonna put on my holly hat today and and get into some very quick and dirty pop history i'm so excited i feel like we should have like the uh like the pop master music because i've just given away how old i am and how much i listen to radio too just have Uh, like a sting for history corner (laughs) season two that's what we'll do we'll we'll do it So, uh, Taylor Swift was born in 1989, which is also Woo! the album name of, of one of her albums. Um, she started, as you said, as a country singer. She was kind of, uh, I mean, she started very, very young. So she was like a teenager when she first started getting big, uh, yeah. which is reflected in the music. I mean, no, I mean, she was writing better than I could have written anything when I was you know, a teenager, but it definitely felt like teenage music, which, um, again, no problem with. I- yeah. And it's super reflective of the people who I would say are, were her, like, teenage girls loved her because they oh, yeah. she felt like them, right? She was writing music that, yeah. you know, could very easily, and it's still good, but it could very easily just be teen angsty poetry in mm. many ways, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's very, um, like the Olivia Rodrigo stuff that recently came out. I don't know if you heard any of like that album. Um, but that's another one where it, I mean, listening to the whole album, it was very like, oh, I am too old for some of these experiences. But if I was a certain number of years younger (laughs) than I am now, it would be, I would be eating all of this up and crying in my room eating ice cream listening to this. Like, (laughs) is that the album that everyone said mashed up with Paramore really well? Yeah. 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 Because... Oh god. I feel like people can judge our ages by the by what we talk about, but like um because that Paramore album that's ma- it's mashed up with is the same vibes. Yes. Like, very much very, the that's same. That's why vibes. I mean like listening to it I was like I feel like I'm too much of an adult, but I also totally know this music. I know this music mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. innately in my soul, but I am now the older person listening to it <laughs> and being like, "Uh I say this as somebody who still jumps around their room listening to like my come of romance and I mean, I, yeah, and... I was about to say, I'll still listen to it. I just listen to it for a different perspective. <laughs> exactly. Like this is this is me reliving my childhood now or my teens, let's say. So in the kind of early days of Taylor Swift, she was really seen as this um you know, the cute, sweet, all American girl. You know, she's blonde, petite, very beautiful. It's that kind of quintessential idealized woman right of uh, americana and even when she she was like just starting to like poke a toe into pop at around a very pivotal moment <laughs> in her career when she was about 19 or 20 uh and this was uh right around the time that she released uh her album fearless which was like in the late 2000s so this is when the infamous vmas 2009 oh, that incident <laughs> this is now this, yeah, I know incident, <laughs> this incident is one of i would argue is one of the most pivotal taylor swift moments in her life because so for people who don't <laughs> didn't immediately go oh like that yeah the vmas yeah okay. uh this was when she won the award for i think it was the best 
a music video for a female artist or something like that. Uh, It was an award similar to that anyway. And Kanye West got up on stage and took the mic away from her and said, I'm gonna let you finish. But Beyonce had the best music video of all time. Uh, (laughs) which you see how embarrassed Beyonce was yeah (laughs) you see how um and this was I mean Taylor Swift was a teenager and uh I mean she might have been 20 but come on like when you're 20 you're basically a teenager I remember the clip and she looks absolutely like shocked like she almost looks like frozen and then like and bless Beyonce who's genuinely just looking completely distraught that this is happening like what are you doing you know like they've given the award to her we can't stop that well, and also you know. like it's this young female yeah. and Beyonce I mean I don't know her as a as a person obviously but I I think that at least the way she portrays herself is somebody who's all about female empowerment I'm sure she mm-hmm. was not wanting to contribute to this societal idea that all women have to be combative with one yeah, another exactly. to be successful and you know that's basically what Kanye was trying to do do in that moment well in that in that moment she was really propelled from taylor swift the artist and to taylor swift the public figure because people started really paying attention to her as a person uh because she was this not only was she now the americana ideal but she was the americana ideal that was slighted um, and was very clearly in the right and was very clearly innocent and it really captured this idea of yeah and I don't want to bring in like politics well yeah I do um <laughs> but like if you're a right winger in America and you see your beautiful blonde Americana princess get slighted by a black man yes and that shouldn't be that that should not be the image that should not be the image that it is I can absolutely see what we would call the alt right now taking that and running oh, yes. in a way that was completely unfair like what Kanye did was stupid but don't be racist about it Jesus Christ yeah you know yeah. Kanye it, you know it could have been I don't know I can't think of any famous musicians off the top of my head but anybody <laughs> else could have done it and like it would have still been bad but there were like I remember there, yes there was I definitely... remember the backlash against Kanye and Beyonce that came from people who wanted to politicize it and wanted to make it more than it was like and that that's just not fair for anybody in that situation. Yeah. And it was bad and wrong. It was, um, yeah. But you can totally see why, like, I can see why people who have those politics took that image and used it in the way they did, which is horrifying. Absolutely mm-hmm. horrifying. So, yeah, it was, it, it, it was, I think, a very pivotal moment for her. It was obviously, I mean, that would be incredibly difficult to get over, I'm sure, mm-hmm. especially when you're so young. Um, but... In all intents and purposes, I mean, there was uh, moments where she clearly patched things up with Kanye and they took pictures together and stuff mm-hmm. like that as she got a bit older uh, and he continued to be an ass. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I think we all know that Kanye kind of remained the narcissistic asshole that uh, he kind yeah. of always was in that figure. But the I, the idea, the picture of Taylor Swift as this like straightforward, honest and innocence started to change the more that she was put into this kind of public figure mm-hmm. position. Um, and so, you know, the kind of string of of exes as her music was always very autobiographical, which again, we talked about this with Orville Peck, that history of, of country really paints the way that she approaches songwriting. Yeah. So it's always very honest and autobiographical, um, but when you're writing a lot of breakup songs that sound more catty than, <laughs> than kind of straightforward, it starts to paint a very different image. She became a lot more like huge kind of big pop rather than a country pop, which there's nothing wrong with. Um, I don't mean mm-hmm. to sound it as wrong, but this is all part of the changing image of Taylor Swift. I always think of the song Trouble, the I knew you were trouble when you walked in. Yeah. Um, that has that big like EDM drop and stuff like that, which is like the furthest away from country that she could have gotten in that moment. Yeah. Um, but then things seemed to kind of shift back into Taylor Swift's favor uh, when Kanye West released the song Famous. And I don't know if you remembered yeah. this controversy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but I'm about to use uh, a derogatory term for women just to brace people. Uh, in the, the line in the song, he references Taylor Swift by name. And he says, me and Taylor might still have sex. Why I made that bitch famous. Eee, oh, no. This <laughs> so, continues down the route of Kanye being so, oh, just Like terrible. I said, Kanye I mean, West he- continues to go down a Kanye West line and has in more recent years been way worse than this. But oh, yeah, absolutely. But like, for discussion for another time. I feel like at some point we just have to do a Yee episode. <laughs> like, just talk about that. I mean, if you I know? do a, a, another Kim Kardashian deep dive, we can get into some elements of this as well. But I want to. I want to. Mm. Oh god, uh, yeah, and I also again this kind of feels like one of those things where the the politics of the situation of a young woman having lots of boyfriends and being a bit pissed off about terrible relationships is relatively normal. That is normal, <laughs> eighteen to twenty five yeah, year old woman behavior. Like, I always saw Joe Jonas on the list of yeah. her boyfriends, and she had that before she went the VMAs incident when she was twenty yeah. in that. Exactly. So, like, I can't imagine so, somebody still referencing the person I dated when I was like seventeen. Exactly. And even if you do, it's going to be in a kind of tongue in cheek sort of way. Like, oh, I just want to kind of reference this relationship because it was silly and we were teenagers. Yeah. I just feel like so many people, like, oh my god, Taylor Swift, she dated so many people. And it's like, or you guys a guest and b she didn't actually want to tell you about certain things, paparazzi, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And B, who cares? Like, don't use that against women. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not chill. Uh, if she wants to write songs about it, cool. So many men write songs about their exes, Bob Dylan. And, you know, pretty much the entirety of the Beatles. Uh, who who cares? Let, let, let bygones be bygones and just, if they want to make music about it, use your pain. Fuck it. Oh, I get so cross about it because women aren't allowed yes. to do shit. <laughs> I know. There's a there's a lot kind of underlying with this is obviously the kind of inherent misogyny of a woman having quite, I mean, they're long lasting serious relationships. Like she's yeah. a tiny bit older than us, but only mm-hmm. by a couple of years. Like if one of my friends had had six or seven serious boyfriends, I wouldn't be like, what is wrong with you? I'd be like, yeah, yeah that makes sense. That's normal. That's yeah. on track. I yeah. <laughs> Like, okay, you're not the type to necessarily settle down. That's okay. That's fine, too. Especially you if you're the right focused on yet. your career and are yeah. huge and massively successful. And it'll be like, go get him, girl. Why are you even dating? Like, exactly. Like, I'm sat here, like, with multiple friends who are, you know, they've broken up with long-term partners or they're divorced and all this sort of stuff. And I'm not there going, well, you're a fucking slut. I'm just going, oh, that's a shame your relationship broke down. You'll find somebody, you know. It's like, be normal. <laughs> Yeah, and then obviously on top of this, there's uh, another batch of racism of a black man discussing having sex with a white woman, which, again, <laughs> some people have a big issue with for some reason that I don't understand, but it is. Yeah, we shouldn't be so flippant about this. <laughs> it's bad. It's like, uh, yeah, all the stuff to do with, oh, God, it's terrible. Uh, and then obviously the media was, uh, again, quite rightly, outraged. Um, and Taylor Swift very publicly demeaned him uh, when she was on stage receiving, again, another award. I don't remember what it was. And she made some comment about men will want to take credit for your success and uh, directly relating to it. And uh, people were cheering and, and all this kind of stuff. And it kind of repositioned her again into this oh, Taylor Swift is back to being the wronged, innocent, the the good person, which she tried to do in all of her breakup songs of I'm the good person, but it kind of doesn't stick in quite the same way. It is something as nuanced as a breakup, but when someone's being an outright dick, you're like, yeah, I get this. Yeah. And it's easier to position it. However, <laughs> then Kim Kardashian, who at the time was married to Kanye West, released a video of prior to Kanye West recording this song at all, he called Taylor Swift and asked permission and said, this is what I was thinking of doing. I just want to make sure that you're okay. I don't want to create art that hurts anybody. And Taylor Swift said, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, I get it. We've moved past things. Like, I'm cool with it. Oh, it's like a soap opera. I know. This was like, you have no idea. My, I love reality TV. I love drama. I love watching soap operas. I don't want to be involved in any of it. I like watching other people go through it. And this shit was going down. And I was like, feed me every last morsel of this sweet tea. (laughs) 
which I recognize I'm way too white to be saying that line, but I loved it. Um, So basically, Taylor Swift then got completely pummeled by the press and the media again of kind of being like, now, now not only is she the slight, slowly over time fall from grace, it was a very quick and sudden Mm -hmm. drop um, of the way that people kind of treated her. And so she decided to do what every season three, I would roughly say, housewife on Real Housewives does. And they try to lean way too heavily into the role of villain when that's not necessarily who they are. And this was yeah. the release of Look What Ma- Look What You Made Me Do. Uh, that's a great song, though. <laughs> could be debated. It's not, it's not a high-ranking in my Taylor Swift lineup. It's definitely an attempt to be like, I'm being the villain, but it's also a Look What You Made Me Do, the media making her into something that she's not and all of this kind of stuff. And Mm. she has that really famous, slightly cringy line of, uh, Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Oh my God. Because she's dead. I feel like that's a song that I enjoy because it is almost like camp Phantom of the Opera type villain, you know? Oh, I love it. I just, it's just like one of those things I'm just there like, this is so high camp villain. I enjoy that craziness. Um, (laughs) Like, I don't, it's just, again, it's pop, right? It's terrible, it's kind of terrible, but fun pop. Why not? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go for, <laughs> let's go for it. Like, again, it got used on a lot of AMVs, like a lot. So, yes. She... A lot of people use it for villain songs. <laughs> she kind of, at that point, did this whole, like, uh, she had, her album that year was called Reputation, and it was all about Ooh. her ruined reputation, and, yeah. like, really just full on I am the villain people see me as a villain is that the album that's got bad blood on it as well I don't remember let me look this up real quick we're gonna look that up we're fact checking we're... I feel like we need a fact checking jingle as well <laughs> hi we're we're just checking something please talk amongst yourselves <laughs> the fact checking Vivian can't come to the phone right now why <laughs> um oh this is just the lyrics I don't care about the lyrics when did this come out Oh, I don't. Oh, Jesus Christ! This is what happens. See, this is what happens when you try to look up anything with Taylor Swift. It's all like, who was this song written about? And, oh no, it was on 1989. Oh okay. Uh, which I think was the same one that had. Uh, it has "Shake It Off" on it as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it also had yeah. "Blank Space," which again, best song ever written. But it, it's a it's a similar vibe to "Bad Blood" in the sense of it's like, yeah. although with "Bad Blood," it was still like you did all of this but it was definitely in that vibe of like i'm being seen in a particular way and Mm -hmm. that was during the slight fall and all this kind of stuff um so so taylor swift kind of saw this as the crumbling of her castle uh as she phrased it she uh there was some interview either in a documentary or something where she talked about how she always wanted to be seen as inherently good uh, which I mean, oh, you're a rough. human. That doesn't work. Like yeah. <laughs> I was about to say, it's just like you're a person, and people people make mistakes, and there's nothing wrong with making mistakes as long as you work hard to right any harm that you did and to learn and not cause harm again if you did. And if you didn't cause any harm, then who the fuck cares? <laughs> like, I mean, essentially, what happened was some people had a bit of drama, and then somebody else brought the receipts, and and that's it. Yeah, like, basically. That's what happened. And what's crazy is that most people who were kind of paying attention at the time, only like probably half the people, which is still like a huge number of people, mm. but actually heard about the Kim Kardashian coming with receipts. So like my husband had heard about, and he doesn't hear about anything in regards to pop culture, but he had heard about the Kanye doing another thing. He didn't know what it was, but he knew that Kanye did another thing. And Taylor Swift kind of made a comment about it. And that was the extent of what he knew. So it was like, again, it's like this idea of like, your entire facade is crumbling and how people are reacting to it. And it's like, girl, you're still one of the most popular pop stars of all time. The Swifties love you no matter what you do. Like, I found all of this really fascinating uh, to kind of watch her as a public figure kind of shift her landscape. And what I found massively interesting was when the entire world had its own massive public shift in 2020, um, she released an album very suddenly uh, called Folklore, 
which also was a massive shift in the way that she wrote. So up until now, all of her writing has been very autobiographical. And like I was saying, when I was trying to look up that bad blood thing, and it's all like, what was this song about? Who was this song written about? It's like, that's what everything was. It was all very autobiographical. Which boyfriend was this written about? Which relationship was this? Which friend was she feuding with? Um, Mm -hmm. This was the commentary among everything. With folklore, most of the songs were about fictional characters. It wasn't about Taylor anymore. And it, this is mm-hmm. a very folky album as well. It's really, I mean, there's like very tiny hints of pop, but that's about it. Like it's mm-hmm. very folk. It's very back to being a country singer. Um, but it had these like elements of it being almost kind of, I don't want to say elevated because that makes it sound like country and um, folk music can't be elevated. But I'm trying to say that, like, it was, I think, helped along and sounds slightly different than other folk because of her experience in pop music and how that affects things uh, over time. But despite this, it kind of still had people reading into which bits were the fiction and which bits mm-hmm. were the autobiographical. And But it started to become this different narrative of... Uh, fiction telling, which I thought was really fascinating. And uh, she had a really lovely perspective on folklore more generally, which I'm going to do a quick read. It's not fully what I'm going to be talking about today, um, but I have to. Because for people who don't know, my entire specialism is in mythology uh, and storytelling. So whenever, when Taylor Swift dropped an album called Folklore, you know I was going to be all over that sucker. (laughs) But she writes, a tale that becomes folklore is one that is passed down and whispered around, sometimes even sung about. The lines between fantasy and reality blur and the boundaries between truth and fiction become almost indiscernible. Speculation over time becomes fact, myths, ghost stories, and fables. Which I think is beautiful to hear about. And also she's got these stories of fiction that she's kind of blurring the lines between her own reality and these characters that she's imagining. But then on top of that, she's also kind of in that making commentary about the way people are with rumors about her, Mm -hmm. that these stories of speculation that people have becomes the fact, becomes the exact amount of what something is about. I remember hearing that Ed Sheeran's song Don't was supposed to be about a relationship with Taylor Swift, then it turned out it was about somebody completely different. Mm -hmm. But I only learned that it was about someone completely different like a year ago. Um, And I had spent that amount of time just assuming it was about Taylor Swift because that was the speculation that... And it wasn't even for sure that they dated. It was just this idea that they probably did and then maybe had broken up and... And it was all this, like, big story that probably wasn't all all true, but it was the thing that I had heard and therefore stuck in my head. So I I think it's a really fascinating perspective on it. So, yeah, I think what's really fascinating about Midnight is that it's a slight return to the autobiographical. She talks a lot more about having anxiety about... Uh, for people who want to kind of follow along the uh, her view of herself angle, if you listen to Antihero, I think that's the perfect, like, cap on this whole story of the way that she viewed herself. Mm -hmm. She kind of sees herself as the monster. She sees herself as, um, you know, the the person that nobody likes, that nobody can love, and not just a relationship. She's talking about a perspective of other people that you... Because there's more relationships than the Mm -hmm. love romantic kind. But she's talking about those. There's a really great um, one of the the lines in it is that um, she had a dream that her daughter-in-law killed her for the money. So yeah, I mean it's just like that kind of idea and imagery and idea of yourself yeah. as somebody that people wouldn't even want to keep around for the sake of you that you are only your success and your money and nothing else, uh, which sucks. <laughs> to, yeah, to think about. I, I feel like I, I feel like I need to. I'm like, Taylor, please go have some therapy. I know. I'm worried for you. Like, oh, bless. That's, yeah. Oh, makes me sad. One of the really beautiful things that I think as you track these things and ending with Midnight's and why I think Midnight's is so really fascinating is because She's learned from this really super autobiographical aspect of herself, but she's also learned from this fictional thing that happened in folklore and evermore 
about um, connecting to the fictional space and seeing yourself in the fiction, which obviously is something that a lot of people listening to this podcast have done. It's something that we have done. Um, And understanding that kind of blurred reality and that bringing into it that sense of when you're so anxiety and depression ridden that you're awake at midnight and unable to sleep and your anxieties are just constantly in your head in those moments but also how that can kind of blur reality sometimes and you see things that aren't really there um, and see things in yourself that aren't really there, yeah. uh, which I think is also really fascinating. And people have really grabbed onto it and and see themselves in it in a really wonderful way. Um, and I'm not going to talk too much about the most recent thing because it literally happened like a week ago. But um, she... Is this the tour? There's no. been a lot of stuff happening. Well, I've kind of. A lot of people it's talking connected. about the live shows. Yeah. So it's rumored at the moment, at time of recording, it has yet to be substantiated by either party. So I will not delve into the speculation, which becomes facts that she has warned us about. Um, but it is speculated that she has broken up with her boyfriend, uh, Joe Alwyn. I don't know actors. Uh, But she was with some English actor and uh, he helped along with writing several of the songs from the last couple of albums. Um, And one of which uh, was she had a lot of really beautiful love songs uh, on Midnight's that I think is really beautiful. And one of the uh, a lot of the Swifty tweets that I was reading was just how demonstrating how much people connect to these things and how much they see themselves, uh, despite it being a very personal narrative, particularly, I mean, if I were to write about my own anxiety, that's obviously an incredibly personal experience, but anyone with anxiety could probably totally connect to that. It's that kind of experience. And, um, but people were talking about how uh, if the relationship that Sweet Nothings is written about could fail, then there's no hope for the rest of us. Oh, God. (laughs) No. uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Which, I mean, I think that shows just how tightly people hold on to it, how tightly people feel the things of, like, this song is the most beautiful love song that they had heard and so connected to it. You know, the way that Mm. your your family felt about that song that she sang with um, Ed Sheeran, for example, that to then know that whatever inspiration that was is then falling apart is almost like their own mental breakdown as well. I think that's quite interesting though because I almost feel like those moments of the beautiful love songs come out of a place where you're desperately trying for it not to fail. Mm. You're you're proving that it's not and so something that is so beautiful it almost comes from a place of like I'm not saying it's necessarily true. Exactly. You're, she's clinging yeah. to that thing, not falling apart, maybe knowing that it is. Mm. Um, and I almost always find that some of the, the most beautiful pieces of love poetry or, or music or, or even just prose come from there rather than necessarily coming from the, the height of happiness. Because it's hard, you know, you put emotion into whatever you create as an artist. And I think beautiful art often comes from conflicting difficult emotions not saying it has to absolutely doesn't have to but it definitely has a it has a place so maybe the swifties can take something in that did i talk about taylor swift's history for 35 minutes you did yes oh my god what is but we also talked about like (laughs) the alt-right using racism so fair fair oh my god i need a life (laughs) it's okay i opened this episode talking about that that song and uh made fun of my sister which she's gonna hate when she listens to this so (laughs) again i apologize Lassie. i'm sorry uh but i think what's why i kind of wanted to talk about taylor swift in this season because i did debate on on us pushing it back because we did already talk about Orville Peck, and I didn't want to like yeah. overload it with um, with a music centered stuff, but I think they're a really interesting pairing. That mm. Orville Peck we talked about writes music that's incredibly personal and incredibly autobiographical, and yet he's kind of a stand-in for the community. And I think yeah. Taylor Swift is somewhat similar, but it's so difficult to take Taylor Swift away from Taylor Swift's music. 
Yeah. That I, I don't necessarily know is the same case for Orville Peck. Yeah, having listened to Orville Peck since we recorded that episode a few weeks ago, I definitely feel that while you can tell it's his personal experience that he's talking about, you can tell that these are things that he is not necessarily recounting, but expressing. Mm. You find your own meaning in them and you kind of attach to them. Whereas you're right, Taylor Swift, you're kind of like, okay, cool, so this is about Taylor Swift. Yeah. Um, And while there is a connection there, obviously, with her fans and and you can connect to it in different ways as a a listener, you're always aware that she's present in the music, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, There's almost an awareness of her figure within each song and what's happening to her. Whereas with Orville Peck, I felt like he steps away. Mm. So his experience has informed the music and has informed what's happening, but he's sort of going, and now I give it to you and I move back, you know? Uh, And it feels like a very different approach to it. Neither is wrong, neither is right. They're both equally valid. But you can tell the difference between the two, I would say. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong with the way that Taylor Swift's doing it because of how massive she is and the way that Swifties feel about her, I don't Mm -hmm. think would be the case if it wasn't a successful way of thinking about music. But yeah, I I, I kind of compare it sometimes to, there was a very particular song by Ariana Grande, the Thank You Next, which got Mm -hmm. huge. And, um, but in it, it's like, you can't, that song can't be performed by anyone other than Ariana Grande. And I feel that way with most of Taylor Swift's music. And and one of the reasons why I always say that Blank Space is such an amazing pop song is because of how much it captures this idea. And so, uh, speaking of which, right? So she she writes the song Blank Space, which is all about, like, a crazy person who breaks up a lot of relationships, and primarily because she's young and doesn't know what she's doing and is mm-hmm. a little needy and, um, you know, all the things that are very normal. <laughs> very normal As to we've have. talked about, this is normal. For people to be like this. When she was questioned about it, she said something about how, oh, I was trying to imagine the way that people talk about me, what kind of person that would be like. And I was like, girl, this is you. Like, (laughs) I mean, you've proven to me since that you can definitely write fictional characters in a really beautiful and true and honest way. But there's nothing wrong with saying that there's a kernel of you in this other character. And there's... And when I hear Blank Space, I think of Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. Even if someone else is covering it, it's that's yeah. a, that's Taylor Swift. Well, it's a bit like uh, the album Rumours by Fleetwood Mac, right? Mm. Uh, which, again, you couldn't... If you hear a cover of any song off that, like The Chain in particular, you kind of go, nah, but it's got to be Fleetwood Mac because of what that album is about, yeah. you know? You can't have that album separate from the chaos that was going on within the band at that moment you know so it's these autobiographical moments in people's lives that they write about and and talk about in very raw ways sometimes um they can't be taken away from the moment and the place and the people in which they were written about and that's true like of that's not just music that you know you think about any poetry anything like that you know people still talk about the the sonnets of Shakespeare and everything and, and and who are they about? Who's he writing about? You know, who is the dark lady? Who is being compared to a summer day? All this sort of stuff. Like, you need to know because clearly he's writing about somebody. It's not just come out of nowhere. Um, and I think that's very much the same with these is that like these are things you're like, oh, but we, we've got to decipher it. We've got to find out who she's talking about. We've got to do this. We've got to do that because it's so clear that it's something's happened. Something's yeah. real. And, and it's in there. She kind of, um, and and I mean, I could probably go on about this for ages, so I'll try to summarize it instead of going on about it for ages. <laughs> but she really creates her own, her own folklore, her own mythology mm-hmm. um, that is obviously based off of kernels of truth and stuff. But the way that people listen to that music and... Um, so there's... Uh, okay, I'm going to get into it. Why not? <laughs> i got to go. put down my tea for yeah. this. So, <laughs> so there's uh, there's this book by Michael Tossig called The Corn Wolf, which is an amazing text that's all about how anthropological writing really sucks. Um, but 
but the first chapter is probably the best thing you can ever read because in it he talks about uh, this figure of the corn wolf which was uh, initially written about um, more formally in academic circles by uh, James Frazier in The Golden Bough and then somebody else took it and was writing about Frazier's thing in The Golden Bough and now he's writing about that guy writing about Frazier because this is what academia is um, but basically in it he talks about this figure of the corn wolf and that um, the corn wolf is a mythological creature who is, oh, geez, now let's see if I can remember all the bits. It is uh, a harvest creature, uh, primarily a monster that's associated with harvesting time. And mm-hmm. it's in the last sheaf of corn. Uh, it happens when you pick the last sheaf of corn and it's the person who picks the last sheaf of corn. Okay. I think that's all true. Uh, I'm not going to dig out the book. That's too much. Um, (laughs) But basically what Michael Tosig is saying is that we as humans are able to conceive as of one thing as having multiple meanings and multiple identities and multiple facets that could be contradictory or could be interlacing. And we don't see a problem with it. The corn wolf can be its own creature. It can also be the sheaf of corn. It's the effigy. It's the person who picks it. It's all of these different things all at the same time. And we don't have any kind of problem with that. It doesn't have to be one thing. And I think that's mythology more generally. But when you talk about Taylor Swift, I think this is what's kind of at the the nugget of seeing her stories is that it is about Joe Alwyn. It is about Taylor Swift, but it's also about my experiences when I'm listening to it. It's also about this fictional character that she's saying it's about. It's It can be all of those things all mm-hmm. at the same time. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't know if that so, made any sense. It made complete sense. And I think it's interesting as well that you say that actually, as much as everyone says this is about Taylor Swift, it's about the fictional Taylor Swift, mm. essentially. The version that exactly. we, as the public, know, as her fans know, all this sort of stuff, the version she is presenting, which could be as easily as fictional as, as anything else. You know, we don't know her. For, you know, it is, because we don't know her personally. We don't know her intimately, all that kind of stuff, as much as we think we might do. Mm-hmm. We know a version that is given to us through music and that is as much a fiction as anything else so there isn't any way to kind of go oh yeah well we know everything about taylor swift because we've deciphered all the easter eggs and we found everything all the clues all sort of she's chosen to give those things to you she has picked and chosen what is in there and what you're going to find because she knows you're going to do it yeah and where that may not have been the case earlier on in her career it definitely is now Mm -hmm. and so she's going to be careful about it so it's as much a fiction and a story as any of the actual fictional characters she's talking about she's created the mythology of taylor swift around herself but that doesn't mean it's actually herself we could find that this the whole thing with taylor swift is as much a character as anything else at well, some yeah. point she could be like you know oh sorry actually none of that was that none of that actually happened and what i found you know, really, the way i said it happened really fascinating was when when it when reputation happened and look what you made me do happened it was this really fascinating take of the story, the mythology of Taylor that she thought she was presenting as being very different than the mythology of Taylor people were saying and caring with. And there obviously is like the level of of media and as we said, the intense misogyny that is embedded within that. But obviously the Swifties have a very different perspective of that. And even people like me, who I I don't, I'm not really a Swifty, but I I mean, I might be after the next couple of albums, but, (laughs) um, but at at, at that time, I definitely wasn't. And, um, but I still enjoyed her music, but I also kind of could see what people in the media were saying and think that that was a load of shit. Um, Can have my own idea and mythology of Taylor Swift and how all of those things are different than the way she thought she was being presented. And when she realized that these were all different narratives, she crumbled um, because she thought that that meant her own mythology was wrong. Yeah. Um, and Taylor, you're not listening. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, I think we all have mythologies about ourselves, right? And these are all yeah. the mythologies that we try to present to the world in the way that we move. And as you know, we were kind of saying about how Taylor Swift has her own way of presenting herself. This is what we all do. Um, we all spin our own tales about ourselves and try to present these to people. 
all comes back to masking. We've done it again. <laughs> We're back here at the mask. Yep. That And that's the thing. It's like, we all do. We all have our own versions that we try to present to ourselves and, and we try to pretend that we are. We all do it. There's yeah. no such thing as normal. Everyone's fucking weird and all have weirdness in our own ways, but we try to present ourselves in as a particular fashion. And when we find out that another person has a very different mythology about us than we have for ourselves, it can be really devastating. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that thing uh, um, I see people talk about. It's like, um, I have no control nor any... Um, say in the version of me that lives in your head yeah like i can't do anything about that there's a version of everybody who there's a you know there's a version of me in your head there's a version of you in my head all that kind of stuff and we can't change what that looks like because that's we have literally no control over it and so you just have to continue being yourself and if that matches up or doesn't match up to what's in somebody else's head you literally can't do anything about it Mm. um and that's just life and I think it is difficult when you find out that somebody thinks you're terrible and you're like, oh, I didn't think I was terrible. I've just been trying. I'm really sorry about that, you know. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you you can't necessarily do that much about it. Mm. Um, and you kind of have to just be like, all right, that is what it is, I guess. Um, sorry, I, I guess I'll just keep going, you know. Um, and that's really hard. It's a hard thing to do. Like, unless you're intentionally being terrible, like, fix that shit, you know, fix your mistakes, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, like, most of the time, it's, it's almost always just unintentional, let's be honest. And you just have to be like, okay, I guess, I guess we just, that's weird. And I'm interested by the fact that Taylor Swift, I guess because it was on such a public stage, that when she found out that, like, the whole media and therefore obviously the whole world thought terribly of her, when she thought, oh, I'm a good person, which, fair enough, she probably is. That probably really was very difficult. And like you said, she was very young, really. Mm-hmm. Like, what, she, that came out when she was, like, 25? Something like that? Yeah, like, I mean, if... yeah, you're not, so, you're not ready for that at 25. Yeah, she was 20, I think, at the 2009 VMAs. So, I don't know. I can't do math. But, yeah. I mean, she's still young. She's... Yeah. And, and that's the thing that's kind of crazy. I mean, she better still be young. She's older than me. But, like... Yeah. <laughs> But I think that's the thing is like you when you've done most of your growing up in a public spotlight, it's hard to grow up. And that sounds really rough, but it is Mm -hmm. true. And the fact that she has been able to grow and develop to the extent that she has, at least from what I can imagine and, and I can see from the way that she writes and the way that she talks about life is way more mature now than she was when she was 17 yeah which you know that's good yeah. <laughs> that's good that I, you I see life as different the case yeah <laughs> but yeah so um you know that that must be really difficult and to always have that image in yourself and as much as we talk about the media is like you know oh who cares like who listens to that but that's when that's all you hear about yourself that's all you're seeing about yeah. yourself being written or talked about that can be harsh well, it's like they say, don't go and read your own reviews because, like, when you read other people's opinions of your work or what you've done, you get angry because you're like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> but you, you know, and it, like, that on a massive scale yeah. is so hard. It must be so hard. You know, you can't, I can't even imagine what that must be like. And, and nor do I want to know what it's yeah, like, no. to be honest. I remember I was talking about um, Kim Kardashian at one point with a friend and he asked if I watched the Keeping Up with the Kardashians uh, because I wanted their life. And I was like, God, no. Absolutely not. Yeah, no. <laughs> and that's kind of how I feel about a lot of this, but... Um... I don't want that. Nobody wants that. So the thing with the Easter eggs, like I have heard a lot about the Easter eggs and particularly in Midnight's that there is, she's referencing like everything she's done up until this point in the album. How? (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of Easter eggs to have. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, and some of it is stuff that she references in clothes. So the big reason why everyone thinks that she broke up with her boyfriend, which of course by the time this comes out, everyone's going to probably know and it's going to be cleared up, but we're in the midst of it at the time of recording. Um, But she, it's because she wore a butterfly. Uh, Mm. I think it was a butterfly cutout on some jeans. 
Um, but for whenever she uses butterflies, it's symboling coming out of darkness. And she typically uses that with breakups. So okay. people were assuming that because she was wearing the butterfly and they haven't been seen together in a little bit, that it must be that they broke up. So okay. this is what I mean by like the extent of things. But she also does it, like you said, in, in her music. There's uh, one of my favorite songs on Midnight's is a song called Maroon. It's all about the relationship that she referenced in her album Red. But it's her reflecting on that relationship as someone who is now much older than she was as red. And so maroon is supposed to be the more mature color of red. Okay. So yeah. it there's like, and of course, I don't know how much of this Taylor Swift has like substantiated and how much of this is stuff that I'm reading on Reddit of people <laughs> who have like done deep dive thoughts on, on what it is uh for you know this relationship and how they think yeah. about it and how they read into it but like we said i mean that's when we i mean we're talking about fandoms right and as much as taylor swift is a huge part of it and and i mean i spent 35 minutes talking about her history for a reason like it it has impacted the way that people understand her and how they understand her music and her connections but at the same time it's all about her fandom it's all about mm -hmm. the way that people connect to and understand uh, and communicate with each other as well as with her. And I think that the use of Easter eggs is the way that she communicates with with the Swifties in a way that feels much more intimate than putting a post out on Twitter yeah. that says, oh, this is what I mean by this. Yeah. And also, it's fun, right? Well, even yes. if they're even if they're wrong, it's fun. Like I love people like analyzing TV shows and being like, "Well, this might be this, and this might be this." Um, I think WandaVision was the perfect example of it because it was like the first time in ages that like I think it was the first thing ever where Marvel brought out something that was a weekly show, and so everyone was just like analyzing the hell out of it. And then of course that led to the finale being a little bit disappointing because everything that everybody had analyzed and was predicting was going to happen did not happen. You know? Yeah. Um, but it was super fun to go along with all the predictions and stuff and be like, oh my goodness, so this means this and this. Means... And like everybody was getting really into it. Mm. Um, and that was great. And when people do that about like their favorite TV shows or their favorite films or all this sort of stuff, you know, I, I'm currently deep in it with The Bad Batch because I'm, I'm living in denial. Nobody needs, nobody needs to know what's going on in my head right now. <laughs> this is coming out ages. Like, I'm sure people, I can't spoil this for people, but I'm still not going to say what happens. But yeah, we've only got like one more season of that happening. And so everybody's like, what is going on? How did all of this happen? You know, so there's a lot of, a lot of analyzing going on, which is crazy. But it's also really, really fun mm. and stopping me from falling into a pit of despair because of the season two finale. So, you know. Well, but what's interesting is, is I think what I find interesting about Taylor Swift using the easter eggs is it's kind of her way of controlling that aspect of the fandom right mm -hmm. so um because it's going to happen regardless i mean she has seen it happen regardless yeah um but now she can kind of put a butterfly on her jeans and now it's her controlling the narrative that people are then like what is it that people are grabbing onto well I'll give them something to grab onto and communicate with rather yeah. than grabbing at nothing and communicating a thing i don't want them to communicate and it's very clever. It's very clever. I think. She's if very are, smart. <laughs> yeah. If you start, if you grow up in a world where people are analysing your every move very publicly through the press or through your fans or through your music, all this sort of stuff, take it and use it and run with it. Mm -hmm. You know, absolutely do that. See what, you know, what you can take and be like, okay, cool. So in the past, they've seen this thing as that. So I'll confirm that for them by doing it again, you know? Or, oh, I didn't like that thing. They were wrong about that. So I'm not going to confirm it. I'm not going to pick up on it, you know? Yeah. So people kind of start maybe to move away from the, the ideas and the Easter eggs they thought were there when she kind of confirms other ones and not, you know, or re-references -re certain ones and not others. I don't know. You kind of, it's self-fulfilling, isn't it, really? Yeah. I mean, it's, as you said, it's, it's just so smart. And it's, I think, the best way, because you can't stop people from doing it. Mm. And... Um, I don't know how much she would want to stop people from doing it at this point. Um, it gets her, like, a huge amount of free publicity. People talk about it, right? We're yeah, talking about it. Exactly. Not that Taylor Swift needs publicity, but, like, if you're kind of thinking, oh, how am I going to market my album? Let me get my fans to 
constantly talk about like all of this stuff so it gets a bit of a news cycle can i not a bad idea this is probably way off topic and i'm already out of time but i'm gonna tell you anyway and i can always cut this but did you hear about the um why she dropped the album on the day that she did no so uh she got into um a big big issue with scott Anyway, the guy that used to own, it's a record label guy. Yeah, I knew about that. Yeah. So she had to re-record So she's re-recording. Stuff, yeah. So she still hates the guy, obviously. Yeah. Um, he has uh, the album, the record for uh, Carly Rae Jepsen. So Carly Rae Jepsen announced the drop of her, mu- of her new album. And then like two days later, or something very similar later, but after Carly Rae Jepsen announced it, Taylor Swift announced she was dropping her album on the same day. And it hasn't been confirmed by her, but the the big controversy and the big um, conspiracy theory is that she did it on purpose in order to tank the Carly Rae Jepsen sales. I feel like that's not fair to Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> no, oh. not at all. And that album's pretty decent. I, I, I suggest Carly Rae Jepsen as well. Um, but it did mean that a lot of like people that I, I know and talk to were like comparing the two albums, which I don't think Carly Rae Jepsen ever intended to have her no. stuff compared to Taylor Swift. Um, but yeah, so that's, I mean, it just shows how much she does, she does know the power that she wields and how she can, and hold it. I mean, she's the only person who could re-record and re-release her albums and have it be a successful thing. Um, Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone else would be able to do that. And because her fans in such a way are like, oh, this is Taylor's version, all this sort of stuff, and you're like, "You, you genuinely can't tell the difference. But like... As far as I listened to them, I was like, I don't understand that different. I'm sure the fans would be like, but this thing, this thing, this thing. And I'm like, okay, yeah. cool. Um, but, like, they are so supportive of her mm. and everything about her that, like, it being Taylor's version is... And it being called that as well. Like, they're called this Taylor's version, the name of the song and that. And it's like, that is such a powerful thing to do, to be like, I'm, I'm taking this in a way that you genuinely can't touch. And, like her fans will follow her with it so you yeah. couldn't even do anything about it if you wanted to so she yeah she's able to wield so much power like of how she um convinced apple to start paying uh so she convinced uh, apple to pay the um musicians better royalties so basically it, it used to be that if you were on a free trial with apple music um mm. and you listen to stuff the artists wouldn't get royalties during the time of your free trial Oh. And she said that wasn't fair and threatened to pull all of her music off of Apple. And so they wow. quickly changed their rule set. Wow. Um, again, as much as I love Carly Rae Jepsen, <laughs> if she threatened to do that, I don't think anyone, Apple wouldn't care as much. No. Um, but they, Taylor Swift. But Taylor yeah. Swift doing it, that's a huge thing. And I think mm-hmm. that the only other person who could probably do that is is Beyonce. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm actually thinking may, maybe Ed Sheeran purely because of the amount of writing credits he has mm, on other people's yeah, it's, stuff. Yeah, he also pulled music that he wrote. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, like, he is so prolific as a writer and a producer as well as in his own right that actually he, of the the modern ilk of musicians, if he did it, then you'd probably have an issue. Yeah. Because <laughs> it'd be a lot of work. But um, the fact that, you know, Taylor Swift, on her own, with just her music, not necessarily even credits on other people's music or anything like that, just her own stuff... I think Beyonce is probably the only person at the same level because they're both cool, awesome women doing awesome women things. <laughs> it's great. Uh, that's how we're going to end it. No, uh, I, was go- I was just about a to do a win for feminism. I'm going to let you finish, but yeah. <laughs> this has been a fun episode to record of all time. I've enjoyed learning about Taylor Swift. I didn't know very much about all of this. Um, and some of it I kind of found I, I did know, but it had just through the osmosis of existing in pop culture. Yeah. I mean, some of it's, weird. like we said, it's, some of it's just really hard to avoid. And some of it is things that you've probably heard, but not thought much about because yeah. who cares? Except yeah, me. Yeah, gossip column stuff, right? <laughs> you know, gotta gossip about somebody, let's gossip about Taylor Swift. Yeah. Well, I convinced you to listen to Orville Peck. Maybe I'll convince you to listen to Midnight's. Maybe. Um, I think I'd be more inclined to go and listen to Folklore. Folklore, I definitely suggest Folklore. I think Folklore... That's much more my kind of vibe. Yeah, you'll definitely be super into Folklore. There was a second, like, a sequel to it, Evermore, that she released, like, a year or two later. um, That was also good, but Folklore was just ostensibly better. 
she wrote it alongside uh, Bon Iver. Oh. So, cool. and he's featured on one of the songs. Hmm. Under his his actual name, which I don't remember what it is now. I, I feel like I, I don't listen to any musicians who I could convince you of this enough. Like, <laughs> the, the songs and the lore to do with them. I'm like, yeah, no. Uh, I, I listen to a lot of people who are just sad. <laughs> That's not true. Sad, drunk folk music. That's, That's fair. I used vibe. to... I used to listen to this one um, musician whose writing was just so depressing and so detailed and so beautiful. And then I looked it up and it was all just, sti- he just made it all up. Like it wasn't. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, it's beautiful. It's like, it's like Taylor Swift's folklore. Like, you know, there's elements I'm sure of, he yeah. remembers what it feels like to have heartbreak, but it's not this exact circumstance that he's writing about. Cause there's this whole song that he wrote about, um, you know, being a, on it, you know, having struggling with addiction and having a relationship that breaks up because of addiction and the struggles of that and mm. and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh man. And he's like, no, he's been married to like his high school sweetheart for like thirty years. And <laughs> wow, wow, <laughs> never never had that many struggles with it. But he just wrote about this shit, and I was like, guy, my dude. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I kind of feel like my favorite band have not had their clothes stolen by a prostitute in New York Harbor. And then, while well, they're about to go and be press ganged onto a boat, so you know it's a different vibe, really. The <laughs> like the folk music vibe. Oh, so people, you can find us and all of this on uh, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe um, so you never miss an episode. Woo! Um, and we look forward to telling you about some more exciting fandom stuff next week. Though I don't think it's going to be quite as next week next whenever the next one yeah, comes I think out it's every other week yeah every other week we, we know go. our own release schedule <laughs> we're professionals um yeah i don't think we're going to have as much uh i don't, I don't want to say gossip that's not fair as many easter eggs as with taylor swift though i mean potentially time. a couple more easter eggs that's true maybe ollie and vivian easter eggs yeah <laughs> oh thank you so much for listening uh i am i have been i am holly Swinney. <laughs> i have been and i will continue to be vivian Asimos. <laughs> and one day we'll be able to close an episode without laughing <laughs> never <laughs> bye guys bye. thank you for listening remember to like review and subscribe wherever you are listening to this podcast and do give it a share tell your friends family fellow fans get the word out however you feel like you can You can follow us on social media, links are in the show notes, as well as some links to further reading for anyone who might be interested. Music for this episode was Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. This episode was produced by Vivian Asimos and Holly Swinghurst.